So this morning we're going to be looking um, at the Father's love. Uh, we're going to continue our journey in Ephesians. We'll be looking at verses 3 and 4 this morning. And uh, we will look at various aspects of the Father's love as it pertains to not only his kingdom, but our lives. So before we get any further, let's pray. God Almighty, we praise you. We thank you so much for being our God, and we thank you so much for allowing us to come into your presence as your church, as your bride, to give you the praise that you deserve. We thank you so much for your mercy, your compassion, your steadfast love, and your faithfulness. We thank you so much for your ways. Thank you for your provision and just how you care for us moment by moment, and how you look to our future and how you've called us to great things. And Lord, nobody knows what you have planned for them. And so we just look to you and trust in you because we know you have great things in our future. Thank you so much for being our God and caring for us and loving on us the way you do. In Jesus' name, amen. So this morning we're going to be looking at Ephesians verses 1, I'm sorry, 3 through 4. And as you'll notice this morning, I copied it from King James. And I will explain why in a second. But the scripture says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who hath blessed us with all spiritual blessings in heavenly places in Christ, according as he hath chosen us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and without blame before him in love. So before we get too much further, if you'll notice, in the ESV, as you read this set of scriptures, they put a period right there. You notice that? Mm -hmm. But in the King James, they include in love. And then they start, he predestined. It's important for us to understand that this actually does belong with Scripture 3 and 4, and does not start in 4 as the ESV states. A few of the versions will put it here. Actually, most will put the period there, and only a few versions have it where it's at the end of the sentence. Why is that important? Well, if we read the entire sentence, we see what's going on. It says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with all spiritual blessings in heavenly places in Christ, according as he has chosen us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and without blame before him in love. That he has before the foundation of the world, called us to be holy and has blessed us with all spiritual blessings in the heavenly places. Why? Because he loves us. That's why it's so important to have that in love at the end of the sentence instead of beginning the next sentence because these blessings all happen in love. 
Not only do they happen to us, but blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, because he is the Father of the Lord in love. So we're going to break down this, and, and if you look at today's sermon notes, we're going to fly through it because I have 12 points, and there's no way we're going to get through them all the way I usually get through them. So we're just going to kind of fly through them and kind of tie it all together at the end. The first thing I want us to see is that in number one, the Father loves humanity. We know from John 3.16, it's one of the most famous scriptures, for God so loved the world, right, that he gave his only begotten son. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. God loves the entire world. God loves his creation. Now, it doesn't mean he loves everything in it because there are certain components in it that have become rebellious towards God's loving nature. God has loved the angels, but we know that Satan was jealous of God and rebelled against the Father and therefore turned against the Father. Yes, God did create the angels. God made them beautiful. Just as he blessed us and created us. Well, what we do with that blessing through the free will that he has afforded us, we can abuse. Well, in the kingdom of God, it's no different. So I put it this way. I always say, well, if a person loves baseball, they probably have a favorite team. Let's say that favorite team is the Dodgers. Well, if you're a Dodger fan, there's probably a good chance that there's two teams that you do not like. One being the Giants, and the other being the Yankees. It's no coincidence that these three teams all originated in New York. So you can love something, but not everything in it, so to speak. So, in other words, there are various scriptures where God does not like the wicked things that people do. And in fact, you can get so wicked that God opposes you. God opposes the wicked. But God loves humanity in its entire breath. And even though he has his opposition against wickedness, and the wicked things that people do, Scripture also tells us that he hopes that people would repent and seek him because God himself does not desire that anybody should perish, but that all should seek him. So we know that God has a general love for humanity, but we cannot confuse this and say that God loves everybody. While God does love humanity, there are few choice people, as we can see from Scripture, that God is just not pleased with. You know, you don't have to go much through history to realize that probably God didn't have a great heart for Hitler and all the evil things that Hitler did. When a man becomes this wicked, God opposes that man. So, But there is a general love for humanity, John 3.16. Now, the next thing that we see in point number two is the Father loved us first. In 1 John 4, 16, it tells us this. And it says, 
Not only that God is love, but so we have come to know and to believe the love that God has for us. God is love, and whoever abides in love abides in him. And then we see in 419, we love because he first loved us. In order to recognize the love that God has for us, we must see this love. In order to love God back, you must understand that God is loving you. One of the fruit of the Spirit is love. In order to be able to truly love in a divine and pleasing way to God, you have to do it in a way that pleases God. In order to please God, you have to be in, have been awakened by God to understand that he is in fact loving you. Even as we sit here this morning as Christians, we know that God loves us. The Bible tells us that. In multiple places, God tells us that he loves his children. But how often have you gone out into the world and you've heard the phrase, God loves you, but people do not believe it. They do not accept it. They do not walk in it. You tell them that there's a God that loves them, and oftentimes the world will tell you, I don't believe in God. I don't believe that he loves me. I don't believe that there is this God that can love humanity so much because of all the evils that exist. And they would expect God to intervene in almost every case, every time an evil action arises. But I gently remind them that the last time that God intervened when people were doing evil things, people did not like it. People do not like it when God decides to intervene because his judgment is just and he does things in a peculiar way. And oftentimes we think that well, God will come and just extract the evil person out of the midst of our society. When God looks at all of us and says, you are all evil. And if I'm going to extract the evil out of society, I have to take you all out much like the case of Sodom and Gomorrah. We see that the entire village in both these cases were destroyed. So in order for us to truly understand what love is, we must recognize the love of the Father and what he is doing in humanity in his kingdom and through his church. We see him working in various ways. We see him working in our own lives. As a Christian, we understand that God loved us first and that we respond to this love. Which brings me to the next point. The Father's love has saved us. If we look at Romans 5.8, this love just doesn't stop at a general love for humanity. But God has specific children whom he chooses to pour out his love. It says, but God shows his love for us and that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. So even before we could even recognize that there was a love coming down and, and, and working in our lives, God had already made a way for us to be saved in Jesus Christ. Before the creation of the world, Jesus and the Father and the eternal council decided that they would love humanity and that they would show love to humanity. Even before man was created, 
in a special way. And now we see that today it's being manifested, this love that he had for us way back before the creation of time is now being manifested in our lives here today. If we look at our lives, we can see God at work. We can see his faithfulness. We can see things that, wow, I didn't understand why things happened this way, but they did. That God was at work, working on our behalf to make good come out of the things that we've encountered in our lives. Think about how many times bad things have happened, but yet something good came out of it. That's God at work. Well, think of our sin. Think of how bad we are as people and all the bad thoughts that we've had and all the bad actions. And even despite those things, God was making a way for us to be saved. Even while we were doing bad things, God's like, you know, that child is special. They don't really know what they're doing. I'm going to change their mindset. I'm going to enlighten them, awaken them to my presence and my power. And when I do, their heart will be changed. And they will see the goodness that I am, Jesus says. That we'll see the goodness of God. And that will make us respond in such a way that we respond with love back to him. We don't have to look far to see that people aren't faithful to God. We don't have to look far to see that people will play games with God. And we don't have to look very far to see that people will even mock God or put him down or even ridicule him. And we see this happen regularly. Last week we talked about GQ magazine calling the Bible foolish. We've had people on talk shows that say, hey, if God is talking to you, you're crazy. I mean, we've had people in society really get to a point where they mock Christians, God and his holiness. That the whole concept of the Bible and the Holy Spirit and how the church works is becoming so foreign to some people in society that it's a target of ridicule. And that's a sad thing because churches in general are working towards the embitterment of people. They really want to show the love of God. They want the love of God to come into communities and make a difference. And here, as communities are trying to be loved on by the church, communities are laughing at the church. And they're like, we don't want your love. We don't want anything to do with you. But it's funny that when the church decides to give away things, who's the first in line? The community. Because they will quickly take the things of the world from the church and leave the church just to rot and fester and take anything that they can out of plundering the church or whatever. I don't know where people think that this stuff comes from. It's really interesting because during the week we'll get calls sometimes about like, hey, can I have help with my groceries? And we'll, if we can, we'll point them to a place where they can go get help. But oftentimes when you invite them to the church, they don't want anything to do with the church. They think that the church is just there to take from. Missing the point that the entire purpose of the church is salvation through God and Jesus Christ. 
That's the purpose of the church. The church is a home for people who realize that they were at one time a sinner. They recognize the love of God. They see that God is working in their lives, and they see that before God, they are helpless to do anything about their sin. How many of us here can sit here and say, we can do something about our own sin? If we could, we wouldn't need Jesus. And that's where a Christian comes in. He realizes that he needs Christ, that God's love has been raining down on him this whole time. And now you finally recognize it as a Christian and you respond by giving your heart to God. So God loved us while we were still sinners. And it didn't stop there. Not only does he give us salvation, but one of the favorite scriptures that we have, and that's this one over here on the wall. The Lord your God is with you. He is mighty to save. He will take great delight in you. He will quiet you with his love. He will rejoice over you with singing. That sounds like a loving father to me. That with his love, he's going to comfort us and care for us and quiet us. That when things go wrong and things get difficult, he's going to be by our side and make sure that we're okay. And that's important, that we know this characteristic about God. God is compassionate. He's got a soft heart for his children. Now, when we do wrong, we read from Proverbs 3, look, he's going to teach us the right way. He's going to correct us. No loving parent wants their kid to continuously do wrong things. If you saw your kid doing something that they shouldn't, you know you're going to correct them so that they stop doing it. God is no different. And God's end game is holiness. That we see this from the scripture in verse 4. That we should be holy and without blame. So all the while God is caring for us, he has got an end game, a mission, a vision in mind for who we should become. And that is a holy and a blameless child. One that knows right from wrong. One that knows how to please God by loving him correctly. And we don't have to think too hard about it. We have to think about a loving couple. What loving couple shares their love by going out and cheating on their wife or their spouse? We don't do that. That's not love. Well, it's no different than in the kingdom. We know that sin hurts God. And so what loving child would go out and purposefully hurt their own father by doing things that they know do not please their dad? He's our daddy. The Bible calls him Abba, which means daddy, means father. And that's who he is. He's given us a spirit so that we can't cry out to him, daddy, father. And I want us as a church to really look at God this way, as the loving father that he is. Yeah, he can come down hard on his children, but he does so when we do things that deserve it. He asks us to be holy and without blame before him in the love that he's given us. Let's continue. The father loves to be loved. He loves it when we love him back. Let's look at John 14, 20 through 24. I'm going to start at 18. And Jesus is speaking. And he's talking to his disciples. 
He says, I will not leave you as orphans. I will come to you yet a little while, and the world will see me no more, but you will see me, because I live. You also will live. In that day you will know that I am in my Father, and you are in me, and I in you. Whoever has my commandments and keeps them, it's he who loves me. And he who loves me will be loved by my Father, and I will love him and manifest myself to him. And Judas, not Iscariot, said to him, Lord, how is it that you will manifest yourself to us and not the world? And Jesus answered him, If anyone loves me, he will keep my word, and my Father will love him, and we will come to him and make our home. Something happens to the child of God who responds to God in love. Not only does Jesus manifest himself to that child, so you get to that point of a particular conviction of a Christian. And they're like, when you're talking to somebody who's a non-believer, and then you mix them with a Christian, oftentimes the non-believer's like, I just can't see Jesus. I just can't see why you believe these things. I just can't see how God is working in your life. Of course you can. The scripture just told us that unless you love God, he's not going to manifest himself to you. So if you're struggling and you honestly do not love God, of course you can't see Jesus. He's not manifesting himself. In fact, he is purposefully putting blinders on because your heart is not right before him. As Christians, we must get to a point with our faith that we earnestly seek him and we believe that he exists and he rewards those who believe in him. Well... If you're struggling with his existence, the scripture just says right here, if you don't love him, he's not going to manifest himself to you. And then it goes on to say that if anyone loves me, he will keep my word and my father will love him and we will come to him and make our home with him. We've talked about this before. Have you ever been into somebody's house and there's this particular peace? There's something special about that house. It's like you just walked into heaven. Why? Because God's presence is there. God's peace is there. And he says that they'll make his home with him. Can you imagine having God in your home? And it all happens because you love him. God is responding to this love. We know in John 15, 5, if you abide in Christ, he will abide in you. Well, in James it says, if you draw near to God, God will draw near to you. It's no different than if you come and you hug your wife, she hugs you back. It's no different. If you come and you pick up your little boy and he gives you a hug, you hug him back. Well, this is what God is doing. When you love on God, he loves on you back in this special way by making your house a temple for the kingdom. It's got peace. It's got God's love. It's got God's joy. And when you walk in there, it's a sanctuary for you from the rest of the world. Because we know when we walk out of there, out into the world, Scripture tells us it's full of wolves and serpents. Some know what they're doing. Some don't. 
Some purposefully hurt people, some don't. But we know that away from the living God, there's a lot of pain, a lot of negativity, a lot of hurt in the world. Because the world doesn't have the peace or the love of God. Well, when you walk into your house because you have a heart for God, peace, joy, love, it just hits you. Boom, I'm home. I'm home. God is here. God is at my house. And so we get to this point where we understand that God's love is special for the child. You imagine, and I know I've been to some of your houses. I haven't been to your new home yet, but I will. But when we come there, there's love, there's peace. And we've all been into a house that's quite opposite, where it's just like you walk into that house and you know that there's people fighting. You know that there's bitterness. You know there's darkness in this house. Bad things are going on in that house. You walk in there and you, just, you don't feel right. You're like, you know, I, can we go? And, and you realize that there's no joy. God's love is not there in that house. It's absent. We've all been in both houses. So we see from this scripture that when we love God, he blesses us in a special way that his presence comes into our home and makes his he makes his home with us. Okay, now we look at um, Romans 5.5. 5. This love that he has for us, he pours into our hearts. Not only so that we can feel his presence on a regular basis, but so that we can give this same love to our families, to our children, to our co-workers, to those whom we encounter on the streets. It says in Romans 5, 5, and he does not put us to shame because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. God, when he gave us his spirit, essentially put this conduit. It's like a permanent water hose to God's love. We have the Holy Spirit in there. When we walk by the Spirit and we draw close to God, He just keeps giving us His love. When we're in our prayer closet, we can feel His love. When we read His Word, we can feel His love. When we surround ourselves with Christians, we can see His love in action. And all this love fills up in us so that it can boil over so that we can love the world around us. Because loving the world around us on our own power is impossible. But in the power of Christ, we have the patience and the peace that we can see past the hurt and the things that people do and say so that we can share that love with them. In number seven, it says in 1 Thessalonians that the Father has taught us to love one another. 1 Thessalonians 4.9 Now concerning brotherly love, you have no need for anyone to write you, for you yourselves have been taught by God to love one another. God is teaching us. As God's Spirit is in us, we gain a sense, we gain this 
communication with God. And when we're not loving on somebody, we know it. We're convicted of it. Maybe not immediately, but over time, the Spirit of God will talk to us and say, Hey, did you really handle that situation right? Were you really doing things in love? And in your response, was God truly glorified by what you did as his child? Because as we go through the world and we do things, we're representing God. We have the seal of the Holy Spirit. We have his markings on us. And so when we go through the world and we do bad things as Christians, and we've seen it. How many of you have seen a pastor get in trouble on TV? They either stole money or they did something that they shouldn't have. Like touch somebody else's wife. Well, we see that a lot. And how does the kingdom look? Bad. People are like, see, I knew I couldn't trust Christians. See, I knew I couldn't be trusting. And they want me to go to church. Those hypocrites. When we do things that we aren't supposed to be doing, it puts God in a bad light. So when we walk as Christians, we know by the Holy Spirit that we've been empowered to do the right thing. Next, the Father teaches about the love of the Spirit. Not only in 1 Timothy 1.7. But last week when I could not remember the scripture, it was Galatians 5.22. And we know that the fruit of the Spirit offers love, peace, joy, gentleness. For God gave us a spirit, not of fear, but of power and love and self-control. It should be 2 Timothy 1.7, not 1 Timothy. So we see that God has given us this spirit. He's given us power. He's given us love. And all this leads to self-control so that we don't act out in the flesh and that we don't just respond to our flesh because our flesh wants to rise up and do things that oppose God. As we continue through the list, in, in number nine, we see that the Father loves his children in a very special way. John writes about this in 1 John 3, 1. He says, see what kind of love the Father has given to us that we should be called the children of God. And so we are. The reason why the world does not know us is that it does not know Him. If you ever feel out of place in the world, it's because you are. As a Christian, you're attached to God. As a Christian, this world is frustrating because people have made it work in such a way that it runs opposite to the way God works. And as a Christian, as you read scripture, you know that things are supposed to be a certain way. You can look at the news, you can look at social media, you can look at the newspaper. You don't have to look too far to see that things have drifted away from God's plan. In that drifting, because we are God's children, we can recognize this. The scripture tells us that if you're feeling out of place as a child of God, don't be surprised. The world does not know God. And if you're God's child, it's not going to really understand you all that well either. That's not to say that we can't 
share the gospel. Obviously, we're commanded to do these things. We're commanded to love people. But the world doesn't understand why, as Christians, we live for Christ. The world is confused by the divinity of Christ. They're confused by the concept that God would come down as the Son of God, become fully man, and still be fully God, die on a cross, and lead us to salvation. To a lot of people, that's simply foolishness. And then you ask them, or you talk to them about the ways of God and the things that you do, and what Scripture says, and the foolishness becomes increased. They're even more perplexed about why we do the things we do. You go to church on Sunday? Why do you go to church on Sunday? What do you do at church on Sunday? What do you do when you pray? Who are you talking to? Why do you pray? You say there's a spirit that lives in you? How do you know that there's this spirit? It's foreign to the non-Christian. But to somebody who's been awakened by God's love, they're intrigued by it. They're attracted to it. They want more. They thirst for anything that has to do with God. You're talking to God through prayer? Teach me to pray. You have God's word? Oh, what does he say? Wow. God's spirit lives in you? I want that. There's a difference. Somebody who's attracted to God wants the things of God. Somebody who's attracted to the world wants nothing to do with God and wants everything to do with the world. The person of the world is completely attracted by power, influence, and money. So the child of God has a different outlook, and they recognize this love that's coming down from the Father. Not only does God love his children special, but how do you really know? Well, when you do something that runs contrary to God, he punishes you. He's not happy with you. And he does something in your life where you know that God wasn't happy with you. And he disciplines you. We saw that in Proverbs 3. The father disciplines a son whom he loves. If you're not being disciplined by God and you're off doing all kinds of sin, chances are you don't belong to God. If you don't belong to God, you're not going to care what he says. But let's say we are sinning and he is talking to you. And you keep doing it. Well, now you're just being disobedient. You know in your heart of hearts that you're doing things that are opposing God and his ways. You're feeling the spirit talk to you. And yet you decide not to do it. That's rebellious. That's being rebellious. So God disciplines those whom he loves. And we saw that in Proverbs 3.12. The last couple of points, and then we'll start to wrap up. In Proverbs 15.9, we see that the Father loves those who love righteousness. If you love to do good things, you're going to make God happy. If you love to love on people, and you love to love on God, by doing good works and caring for the things that he cares about, regardless of how those people make you feel, 
that you know it's just something good to do and that you don't expect anything back, this is a good thing. And God will give you special love for that. Now, before we wrap up, I really want us to understand that all this comes from Christ. In John 16, 27, it says, I have said these things to you in figures. I'm going to start from 25. I have said these things to you in figures of speech. The hour is coming when I will no longer speak to you in figures of speech, but I will tell you plainly about the Father. In that day you will ask in my name, and I do not say to you that I will ask the Father on your behalf, for the Father himself loves you, because you have loved me and have believed that I came from God. I came from the Father and have come into the world, and now I am leaving the world and going to the Father. In 27, it says, The Father himself loves you because you have loved Jesus Christ. God has manifested himself in the flesh to the world. And it takes a peculiar person, one that has been awakened by God, to understand that God sent his very own son so that we could have eternal life. This is extremely pleasing to God because we have an entire world, even those of the Israel nation, who saw Jesus in the flesh and did not believe who he was. They saw all the miracles that he did, feeding of 5,000 people, feeding of 3,000 people, bringing the dead back to life, curing the blind of their, of their lack of ability to see, curing infirmities, curing all these diseases, and yet ridiculing this man. Today we have the same. We see the power of the church. We see the power of a group like ours to do good. And the world wants nothing to do with it. Wants nothing to do with it. Why? I'll take what you have. I'll take the love of the things that you're going to give me. But I want nothing to do with your Jesus. This is what the world says. Give me your food. Give me the money I need to make my rent. Give me the money I need so that I can have gas. Just don't give me Jesus. I will do anything you want to make my ends meet. But please don't ask me to commit to church. But please don't ask me to commit to your God. What ends up happening is we love to love on the things that God has for us. But as people, we find it extremely hard to love on the person of God himself. As Christians, don't ever fall into the trap of needing the things of this world more than God himself. The things that we get from God, it's just a means to get from day one to day two. It really is. As a Christian, we must get to the point that as long as we have God, we have everything we need. As long as we keep feeling God and his love, it doesn't matter. Because we have the creator of the universe. We know that God is not going to let his own child be put to shame. 
not in the eyes of him. Maybe in the eyes of the world. The world may mock Christians and mock God. But God has the final say. We must trust in him and live in that love. Recognize this love, this faithfulness. Don't turn your back on it. When God is working towards us, we can be more and more holy. Walk in that. Embrace it. Because you know that God is going to be producing this fruit in your life that you can't achieve on your own. This peace, this joy, this love. At the end of the day, those people that have died rich, they look back on their lives and they're like, you know, one thing that I learned was I wish I had spent more time with my kids. I wish I had spent more time with my family. I wish I had spent more time with God. Because now I realize that all this time that I was spending chasing after superficial things, when I got them, they didn't have that luster or that feeling that I thought I would get. When we are sitting on our deathbed, I've heard it over and over again. I wish I had spent more time with the people I love. Well, right now, God is calling each one of us to spend more time with him in intimacy. To be close with him. To share all the things that we have in dreams, all the things that we need, all the things that we hope for. Much like we share them with each other, to share them with our Father. Come to him in your prayer closet. Daddy, I have this dream. What do you think about it? I have, I'm excited, and I want you to be a part of it. I have these dreams for my kids. Will you help me, Father, make this happen? Treat him as somebody who's intimate, as your true daddy. In John 14, 6-7, it says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. As long as we have Jesus, we have this permanent access to the Father. If you have a permanent access to the creator of the universe who can give you anything that you need, who by his very presence can make you feel peace and love and reassured, wouldn't you want more and more of that? I want to challenge us here today as Christians to broaden our prayer life, to spend more time with God sharing the things that we desire and need in life. And James says this, you don't get what you need in life because you don't ask. Think about the things that you need on a daily basis. And oftentimes they're simple. I desire to spend more time with my kids. I want to have a nice walk with my husband and my wife. I would love to see my mom or my dad. God, can you take care of this person? Because they're not feeling that great. God takes these simple requests and he takes our heart and he sees the love that we have not only for him and asking him, but the love that we have for one another. And he's pleased by that. It's like you're not asking for yourself. You're asking on behalf of other people. And I'm pleased by that. And that's why as a church, it's so important to pray for one another. We don't necessarily know the specific needs, but we would be like, hey, I'm praying for this family, and you put the family name in there, 
And you just go through the family, and you're like, Lord, take care of their finances, take care of their health. Lord, bless their relationship with their children, bless their marriage. Lord, bless that house so that anybody who comes in there feels your presence and they're drawn to you. And as we pray for one another, God's presence and his power bubbles up in this church. And as his love bubbles up, we have more and more of it, not only for one another, but that we can give to God and God gives back to us. And when we have this exchange, this highway of love going on with God, incredible things happen because of the boldness and assurance that you know that you're God's child. When you get in trouble, know that you're God's child. God doesn't hate you. Satan wants you to, oh, see, you're in trouble. God hates you. No, God is working in my life, and he's making me more like Jesus. And the only reason that can happen is that you've come to Jesus, and that door has been opened, and you now have access to the Father, and the Father is now working in your life. And you can feel it. How many of you feel that life is not that easy? Well, do you think it would be easy to be holy? Absolutely not. God is working through every trial and every suffering and every situation that we can feel his love, trust in it, and be more like Jesus. So just that love is coming. Just open your arms and receive it. God loves you. If there's anything going on in your life, take it to him. And if you can't go to your prayer closet, pray right where you are. We had a church a long time ago, and I'll stop after this, but remember back in the day when people used to wear watches like that? <laughs> now we have phones, right? But uh, they would give people a small little dot so that whenever you checked your clock or your watch, you saw the little dot, and the slogan was, you see the dot, you, you pray on the spot. And so... Uh, and it's just one of these small little cheesy things to teach Christians to pray without ceasing. Even if you can't make it to your prayer closet, constantly pray. Pray, pray. As, as the Spirit puts things on your heart, somebody comes to mind, say a quick prayer for them. Lord, I pray that you would draw them closer to you and they would be in your presence right now. So let's pray. Father Almighty, we thank you so much for your love. We thank you so much that we can spend an entire morning looking at it and the various aspects. However, Lord, we could continue all day and all week and never exhaust the beauty of your love. We thank you so much for your faithfulness, your goodness. Lord, that your love would cause you to send your son down to earth and that we would be forgiven of our sins by the work that he did on the cross. And we know this is because of your love. And so, Lord, we pray that we would embrace your love and walk in it, that we wouldn't walk away from it. We know at times it's going to seem a little daunting. We know at times you're going to call us to places that challenge our comfort. But we know all the while that you have good in mind because you are good. And we know that you are love. And so, Lord, may we run to you always. In Jesus' name, amen.